0: i think a lot of the ai conversation's been about like well that means we can have less humans i think that's completely wrong what ai does is it gives us the ability to produce more work on the same operating model the same people can now produce two to four to five times as much work in some cases even 10 times as much work ai is like an iron man moment like that you were a great marketer before but now you have this suit on top of you and you can apply and it gives you more capability to lean into things that you've always wanted to do, and it makes you more creative and more impactful. I've always felt that great content leaves the person better than you found them, even if all they ever do is consume the content. If they never buy your product or service because they watched your video, read your content item, engaged in whatever interactive experience you had, you left them better than you found them. I think your content has to help someone solve a problem. It has to be about them, their desire to improve something in their organization, their professional life. No one cares what your product does. They care how you're going to help them solve a problem.
1: Welcome to the Design Rush Podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Mayer. Today, we're excited to have Dominic Colasante, CEO of 2X, join us. Dominic's journey from roles at SAP and Siemens to spearheading 2X's growth shows his expertise in B2B marketing. We'll discuss the founding of 2X and how they're revolutionizing B2B marketing with their mass offering. We'll also delve into the current B2B marketing trends, the role of AI and video, and strategies for handling economic uncertainties. Remember to like, subscribe, and stay tuned for more deep dives with industry leaders. Let's get into it. Alrighty, Dominic. Thank you so much again for you know joining us on the Design Rush Podcast. Um, we're super excited to have you.
0: It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me.
1: Amazing. Now, Dominic, before we get you know to the meats of our conversation on B two B marketing, I'd just like to allow our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So, could you just start by introducing yourself and you know just sharing uh, what led you to your current role as CEO at Two X?
0: Sure. Uh yeah so uh, I'm a marketer by background I'm a marketer now now trapped in the CEO's body. Uh I spent the bulk of my career doing marketing uh, mostly in the B2B space. Uh spent a lot of time in field marketing, a lot of time in, in marketing operations and events mostly for tech companies like SAP and Siemens and and I was a chief marketing officer for a bit of a, of an IT services company. Uh and really the reason I'm in this role at 2X is because I I bought a lot of marketing services i bought a lot of marketing tech i bought a lot of marketing uh capabilities and i i found a gap in the market and and saw an opportunity to kind of create the firm that i always wanted to buy from but didn't exist and so um i tell you more about 2x but i I built us to really be in more uh, more of the managed services space than in the traditional agency space and um and that was a game changer for me as a cmo and Today, we are a game changer for CMOs who are our clients.
1: Okay. Now, if I had to ask you um, to focus on like a really pivotal moment in your career, what would that have been?
0: I think, it, I think back to with um, the idea to become, you know, an entrepreneur and a CEO and to run a business. Sort of a moment that I think it's when preparation meets opportunity, but it's also I didn't like have this dream from when I was a kid of, forming my own business and being a CEO, I was sort of in an opportunity in a place where, um, you know, I was running a marketing team and running a marketing function. And um, I had built something really special that was servicing me. And uh, a friend of mine who was a CMO of another company said, you should make this a business. You should make this a company. I will be a customer. And um, everyone has that moment when they sort of get the entrepreneurial bug and they decide like, I'm gonna go, you know, hang up my very predictable salary job into this more, you know, higher octane life and uh and that was the moment and it was I think it was also it was born out of necessity of the business was something that I needed when I was a CMO and something that another CMO that I knew needed and so it gave me that confidence to like the world needs this. I'm gonna go solve this problem and I'm gonna run i b I'm gonna create a business and then run a business that does this. Uh and some of those moments come to you and you're not expecting them. So very pivotal okay. moment
1: amazing okay so let's actually get a little bit more into two eggs and and what you folks do over there um you talk about this gap that you saw and this problem that you wanted to solve so for our unfamiliar audience could you just briefly give us an overview of what that gap was
0: yeah uh it's that i think a lot of marketers a lot of marketing leaders a lot of marketing managers marketers in general are spending so much time and so much innovation on what i would say is half of their marketing function they're innovating tremendously in the tech stack, uh, and they're buying marketing tech like crazy, which is a good thing because it has huge potential to add value in how we generate demand and engage our customers and automate and bring in AI. And we're spending money on tech like crazy. We're also spending money on and, and obsessing about our advertising budgets, our program spend, making that more efficient and making it more targeted. Um, but marketers aren't really spending a lot of time and energy and innovation on their headcount. Um, which is where half their marketing budget tends to be, their marketing organization, the the marketers that do the work. And most marketing departments look kind of the same as they've looked for the last 10 or 15 years. Still a large team of internal in-house marketers that tend to be generalists and wear lots of different hats and try to put out lots of fires and do lots of things and do strategy and execution and build campaigns and run campaigns all at the same time. And I think that in the last couple of years, really what I was seeing was, we're buying all this tech and no one really knows how to use it in the fullest potential. And so we need skills and attention on the tech stack. Um, that's a big area. We're also now in a world where um, I think a lot of marketers always wanted to keep their entire marketing department in-house, in-person, in the same place because we're marketers and we're creative and we need whiteboards and we need to collaborate together. And we learned in the last couple of years that no, we're actually very productive and functional in a dispersed environment. All around the world um, and so why not lean into that more and be able to capture talent in new places and bring in capabilities i also think there's um, been this constant focus on a lot of marketers are sort of doing everything they wear 20 different hats and when i was a cmo i found that when you give a marketer on your team the job of doing strategy work and execution work you have to do both um, it sounds Great in principle, right? Because now I can have this sort of Swiss Army knife marketer that can do whatever I need. But in practice, I found that the strategy got smaller because the marketer would only dream up ideas that they could execute. And let's not have a giant idea and speak it, because if you speak it, then you'll have to do it. And so the thinking tends to get a little smaller when you have to dream and execute. But then also the execution piece, you... You have a lot of work to do you're busy you're just getting stuff out the door right are you really testing every email probably not are you really building nurture sequences are you really segmenting your audience to be really personalized not all the time are you following the 75 point plan when you're doing a webinar of all the things you have to do to do it best in class not really and so when you have a generalist they're getting all the work done but the strategy's a little smaller and the execution's a little less best practice When you split that into a different model where some folks do strategy and you specialize on the thinking and the planning and the innovating, and then other folks do execution and the running and the day-to-day caring and feeding and the production and just the execution work that marketing needs, it gets tremendously more impactful. Strategy gets bigger and unbounded and people can dream again and why they became marketers to begin with. And the execution gets way more efficient and way more impactful. And that's an example of just like innovating on the operating model, innovating on the human side, innovating on how work gets done. And I set up 2X to be a firm that can solve that problem and can provide a unique model for execution.
1: Mm. Okay. So in saying all of that, if you had to name one core mission that really drives the company, what would it be?
0: Yeah, so we We help marketing leaders get two things at the same time. We help them get more execution impact, more results, more revenue, more pipeline contribution, more um ROI to the business, while we're driving significant cost savings and cost reduction. Uh, we do that through um, a, a network of delivery centers in Southeast Asia. But we are the do more with less marketing option, um, we're helping marketers get more revenue at the same time, um, less cost and less expense.
1: Okay. Now, Dominic, I'm also interested, which services are B2B marketers approaching you for right now, like the most? And why do you think those services specifically?
0: Yeah, our, our revenue split a third or third, third across three major areas. I think they're kind of equally in demand. Um, one of them is, as you expect, creative services, any marketing service firm is. And I think in that area in particular, there's a lot of need on content and production of content, especially as we get more personalized and targeted that creates a real bottleneck in content production. If you want to target 10 industries instead of one campaign that runs all industries, now you need 10 times as much content. And so um, whether that's writing or design or video or long form assets or short form, and AI is a wonderful, we'll probably talk more about that at some point. AI is a great uh, hack to get that in a greater way. But content is something people come to us to. Another on the campaign side uh, is account based marketing, ABM. and really trying to get multi-touch, multi-channel programs put together to really surround a target account. And you know, there's lots of research being done that only 5% of your market is in market at any given time. And so how do we market to that 5% in a very intentional way because they're in a buy cycle? And what are the campaigns, the emails, the ads, the tactics to activate them? We do a lot of that work. And then on the other third is the marketing ops, meaning meaning the process, the tech in particular, managing all that tech that you bought. Um, Gartner does a report every year where they assess for all the marketing tech that's been purchased, what percentage of it's been used, is being used. And it's kind of depressing, it goes down every year and how it's in the 20s, it's 20% of marketing tech out there is being used. And so how do we use it more? The vendor told me this awesome story of all the things the tech can do. And I saw this demo that was like life-changing but in reality, I need someone to do that. There's a human side of using the tech, integrating the tech, working in the tech. And so I'm having individuals that can that can do that every day is also a big part. So it's really those three areas, creative, the ABM campaigns, and the marketing ops and tech that we get called in to support post office.
1: Well, okay, so we've we've talked a little bit now about, you know, what 2x does and just, you know, things in B2B marketing landscape, but I'd like to pick your brain now on some of the more emerging trends that we're seeing in B2B marketing, um, especially, you know, in 2024 and going forward. Um, so obviously this isn't news anymore, and we've kind of touched upon, you know, AI and generative AI, and it's how, you know, it's crept into all of our lives. I think, I think we all know that, and I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. So... I'm curious to know um, if you're using generative AI right now, and if so, in what capacity
0: we are using generative and we we started working with generative in April of 2022, about six or seven months before the the big wave that most of us remember kind of happened overnight. Um, And we started working in two specific areas in April that year. One was with Jasper to support content production and uh collateral volume which is a big constraint as i mentioned earlier and then the other area is in um with one of our partners sixth sense on their conversational email product which is a sort of an ai um sales rep uh to be able to reach out to prospects and figure out if they would like to learn more would like a meeting or kind of giving them something of value that feels very human both of those things have almost been in our almost two years now we've been working on those um, Today we do a lot of AI work. We have an AI practice and an AI COE. We have an AI head. Uh, And a lot of our work in this space is, I think like the next chapter of AI that that isn't being talked about enough, Uh, this very real situation that AI saves work. And so you can get more work done. You can spend less hours doing the things that you would do every day in a marketing department because you now have AI. You can write faster, you can design more you can create more ad creative for testing, you can produce more campaigns. So you could theoretically like need less human hours to produce the same output. And I think a lot of the AI conversation has been about like, well, that means we can have less humans. We can do less, we can, we can need less cost and less people. I think that's completely wrong. And I think it's what AI does is it gives us the ability to produce more work on the same operating model. The same people can now produce two to four to five times as much work. In some cases, even ten times as much work. Um, that's what marketing needs. Marketing is not in a marketing not a cost center. Uh, it's a revenue center. And so, our job as marketers is to generate more engagement and create more pipeline and add revenue. And in the last year, most businesses that have been struggling have been struggling because they don't have enough revenue, not because their expenses are too high at the end. And so. Marketing is really about um, putting more revenue on the board. And AI is a wonderful tool to help us get more marketing in market. And I think about it that like, we know that when we can personalize programs, in, in at least in the B2B world, we can target by industry, or we can target by persona, or we can target by geography, or we can target by segment, we're targeted by some stage of the buyer journey for someone who's unengaged with us or is engaged in accelerating down the funnel. We know that the more personalized we get, the more lift and conversion we get. And we know that we can't personalize enough because we don't have enough content. And so AI is a way to get more content and drive more personalization and therefore drive more conversion lift and more impact and more outcome. Um, that's where the real value is. It's about putting more numbers on the board.
1: It's interesting that you say that, you know, this, this idea that, um, you know, just because we have AI that can do a vast amount of work in a lot less time, you know, there's this idea that, that, you know, we might not need as many human beings on that. Right. Um, I'm curious though, how does that play into human creativity when it comes to using AI? I mean, do you feel like it diminishes your creativity or other people's creativity? Um, And if so, how, how do you balance that then?
0: Yeah, I'll steal a quote from the CEO of Forrester, who says that, um, AI is like an iron man moment, like that you were a great marketer before, but now you have this suit on top of you and you can fly and it gives you more capability to lean into things that you've always wanted to do. And it makes you more creative and more impactful. It doesn't, reduce that and and the way our we have about a 100 writers in the firm of 2x so we have 100 people doing writing work content work and we certify them on ai and they're using ai as part of their work where clients allow it and are okay with it we have some that don't which is interesting but the uh the uh the writers love it they they were the first team to find their way to it because it eliminates writer's block that helps um it helps them kind of like I look at it that they're writing, and then they have the AI over here, and the AI is like their assistant. Like, hey, I'm trying to say this. Can I say this differently? Or, hey, I'm looking for three things that fit in this area. Can you give me some more? It's, they're prompting and they're they're working with AI as as an enabler of their creativity, uh, and it's helping them write better, write faster, write. They can come up with the big idea, and then it can help flesh it out. So they can spend more time on the big idea, creative stuff. Um, one other example I'll give you is in our graphic designers. Um, we've done a lot of testing around, um, you know, ad creative. And if you're if you're in the B two B world, a lot of ad creative is stock imagery. It's kind of boring. Everyone uses it, or it's sort of just like graphics that are that are take a long time to produce. Uh, it takes a long time to illustrate some of these things. We're using some AI programs to create unique images, and then use those in um, in in uh, advertising and creative. And sometimes. We'll see something built or even if we're doing it for design or even if we're using it to write ad creative and copy. Yeah, I might recommend something that we wouldn't have done. Uh, and it's not grammatically wrong or incorrect or improper. It's just we wouldn't have said it that way or we wouldn't have shown it that way or we wouldn't have put that together. That's an idea that we might not have had. And we test it. And sometimes we find like, wow, that performed better than all the stuff we came up with. And so we learn something uh, and that makes us more creative in the end. And it, it it makes it easier to test ideas that you didn't have and and I think it's, it's human plus AI equals three. It's not a not a one plus one equals one and a half.
1: Okay. Um, so in saying all of that as well, which you know tasks would you say Gen AI really really helps you complete the fastest?
0: There's something we we do a lot. Uh, we call it content atomization, and so uh, that's taking a core content item like a webinar, and spinning it into a long form content paper, thought leadership paper, an article, and then spinning that article into a blog series. So it's five blogs and then spinning each blog into an email that could promote it. And then, um, pulling more volume of content out of a single large content item. Um, also atomization when it comes to, here's a content item that is appropriate for a horizontal audience. It's about HR and payroll. It applies to everyone, but if we modified it 5%, it could apply to HR and payroll in manufacturing or HR and payroll in professional services or HR and payroll in healthcare or life science. And so you might have a 5% change on the content item and now you have an industry specific version of it. Um, that atomization type as well, where you're sort of able to produce a lot of content with just a little bit of variation on messaging, the title, the executive summary, some of the words throughout. Um, AI is a great use for both of those. Um, the the format atomization, of turning assets into different asset types so we have more volume of content. And then the messaging atomization, to spin it to different use cases, personas, industries. Um, And so really it's all about taking what's often a scarce amount of ideas that a client has. A client may have 10 or 15 like really big ideas that fuel their whole content strategy. Mm -hmm. And turning one of those ideas into 100 content items versus needing 100 ideas. Uh, and, And so AI is a great Tool to be able to help us do that faster and and in a more impactful way. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so that's basically just sweating the contents with AI. Then, Um, do you have any like key steps or strategies that you use to to make to repurpose contents in such a way that it still feels unique when using AI? Uh, You know, maybe in editing or something like that after it's been generated.
0: Yeah, all of the content that goes out the door in our firm passes through a human in the end whether it was ai produced or human produced all of it gets edited um and and that's a i think a best practice and i think a very critical step that you need to have and so yeah the the process is um usually there's a content strategy developed usually with a human sometimes enabled with an ai for some prompting and some brainstorming support but really what content are we going to create is a very human um activity and then creating the actual content might be where AI can play a really big role, but then finalizing the content, approving it, getting it out the door, putting it in campaigns, that's where um, humans also come back in.
1: Okay. Now, Dominic, we kind of discussed this very, very briefly just before we got started today. But, um, and I already asked you this, if you're, you're on TikTok and you, you already said that you weren't. Um, but I did want to ask you more about, you know, you're using uh, TikTok in like recruiting and stuff. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for me?
0: Sure. Yeah. I might be one of the, the, the least cool marketing... CEOs out there, I still I still use a PC too. I get I get over to Mac. My team always makes fun of me for not using a Mac, uh, but I'm I'm clinging to my Lenovo ThinkPad. Uh, and and TikTok is one of those things. I just need to I need to get on it. I need to to fully embrace it. Um, but we have not had a lot of um, demand for TikTok um, in our customers. Uh, I don't think a lot of our companies are large enterprise companies, big brands. Uh, and when they are demanding it, we will run to that space uh, in a big way and build the capability around it. Um, we have had, to your point, we have had a lot of interesting use cases in recruiting. And so our firm's about a thousand people. Um, it's only about six years old, so it's grown fast. We hire a lot. We hire right now about 60 people a month. And so we're rapidly expanding our team. Our This is sort of grassroots. It's happened in the business without me kind of telling anyone to do it, which I love is some of our, uh, practice leaders and our, uh, recruiting team members have started to build TikTok pages to show our culture and our life at 2X. They've started to use it for recruiting. Um, we do a lot of cool things. There's ping pong tournaments, there's, you know, <laughs> parties of all kinds and the hype videos on TikTok are way cooler than a lot of the hype videos I see on our normal website uh, and and that just like human energy and that like community building and collaboration. We found it really kind of is a place for us to show p- prospective employees who we are and show them what our culture is and what life is like and show them that it's a lot of fun And and it's not just all fun. There's real learning and there's real innovation and professional career development, but the kind of person we hire. Our employee who's working on our clients is on TikTok. And so in that world, uh, it's been wonderful for us as a recruiting tactic, particularly in creative resources, writers, designers, um, really interesting way to to kind of engage them. And I think that also for them matters because they're not just responding to some job board or job ad or getting something on LinkedIn, which feels very corporate. Um, They want to be, you know, part of a high energy, fun marketing company and, TikTok's a great way to kind of show that face of your
1: brand. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, every spare moment I have, I'm on TikTok. If I have to be honest, I can doom scroll for days. But um, I think these days, if you're not in some capacity marketing on TikTok, I feel like you're making a mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a huge, huge demand for people on there. And I know that especially, you know, more than half of Zs are using it as a search engine now. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see that, you know, evolving from this app that was made to just be like for kids, you know, making little dance videos and stuff. But I do wonder um, what would be your like future insights into how TikTok or platforms like TikTok um, can bolster the B2B marketing industry, especially in campaigns, actually? Yeah, I
0: think the area where it will become really powerful um, is in, um, some of the specialized uh, targeting that's going on. And so there's some amazing platforms that allow you to really get into targeting an account or a person in an account. I want to target Dom at 2X because he's the CEO of a marketing service firm. And marketing service firms are my ICP and CEOs. of, And, and I want to get the Dom wherever Dom is. Uh, I want to, you know, if he's on LinkedIn, if he's on Facebook, if he's on ESPN, if he's on, Forbes, if he's on TikTok, wherever he is, I want the ads to go. And so I think that personalization element is where it will add the most value because as um, prospects, and customers are on those platforms, they should start to get, um, you know, the, the ads more. It's targeted at the person, not the platform. And I think that's a difference. It's not about the company just having a megaphone to tell the world who it is. Surprise, like world doesn't care, right? You're we're in a very busy, noisy world. No one. Really cares who you are uh, until they need what you do and then they care. Uh, and there's a very small percentage of people that need what you do right now. And so, um, there's some great tools like Sixth Sense and others that allow really specific targeting to accounts and people in those accounts and that B2B, you know, advertising method uh, as it gets smarter with AI and gets more, um, able to predict behavior of, you know, what organizations and people are on a bicycle because they're exhibiting this kind of content consumption behavior on the web. And then how do we automatically turn on marketing for them at a time that feels very authentic? And we've all had these moments in our life when you like, how does it know that I needed this? Like, is my phone listening to me? And I think a lot of it is really, really good AI that's predicting your behavior. Cause it's looking at what you're searching, um, what you've been consuming, what you bought before. And um, we've seen that in, in our B to C lives. I think B2B is building that as well. And ultimately these platforms, all social media, I think should be targeted in that way versus, you know, we have a TikTok channel and we run TikTok because we want to be on TikTok.
1: Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So let's move a little bit away from TikTok, but I'd like to talk more about, you know, video marketing campaigns. So what advice would you give to B2B marketers on creating really impactful video marketing campaigns these days that could be used across various, uh, platforms.
0: Yeah. Video is the most, uh, important and growing form of content. Um, I, I just read a study from IDC where they asked marketers of all the content you're building, what are you going to build more of next year? And video was like by far the highest. And I think that's just another example of, um, that, you know, marketers moving in that direction. Um, I, I think you should think of video, as the same as content it's you know historically we would in 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 the b2b world you know write a white paper a thought leadership paper a solution brief or some long-form asset Um, that's not the preferred content consumption vehicle anymore it's video i'm going to sit here and have you tell me the story you know there's a little bit of um the the prospects in control of their journey they want this frictionless way to be educated and they want you to teach them something they don't know and help them solve a problem Uh, and video is a wonderful way to do that and we think about it that all marketing campaigns all content should have a video component to it and it doesn't need to be the old school video that's like you have the storyboard it's really hard it takes you two months to produce a two minute video it doesn't have to be at that level it can be you know using um animated explainer it can be um doing some cool things with b-roll there's a lot of stock videography stuff that's normal now to see Um, It's not abnormal to see somewhat of an informal interview become a major asset that like studio production layer isn't we're we're used to it. We're on Zoom all day. We understand that people are in their homes or people are in places that are, um, you know, they're talking to their computer. Um, That type of content channel, I think, needs to be thought of when you're building. So we're going to create a program. There are some people that like to read long form content, but it's, it's about back to my atomization point. It's about having your idea whatever message you wanna to convey, told in as many formats as possible. Some people want a podcast, some people want a video, some people want an infographic, some people want a short form blog they can just get with some bullet points. Uh, I have a guy like that in my firm that only reads emails and bullet points. Some people really want long form, I wanna chew on this, I wanna really get into it, I want like a 10 page thing, cause I'm a reader. Some people like a video, and I think the more format of assets you can put, that actually has the same message and on the core of all those assets, you don't need different things to say. Say the same thing in all those different formats that has i think a really great likelihood of impacting your audience and of all those formats video is the one most preferred by um folks consuming information in their buyer journey mm-hmm.
1: yeah exactly i mean i think there's this big part about um video that really drives authenticity as well or or trust i think you know so Um, You just saying like you don't have to spend two months uh, creating this incredible well-produced video. It can be just like an explainer or even something like an informal podcast sitting down and and talking together, you know, about certain things. And I almost feel like people find that really valuable because it's authentic. It's not this like fake scripted sort of vibe where, you know, you're feeling like something's being sold to you. You're actually, it makes you kind of maybe feel like you're part of the conversation. Um, So, my my point is, I, I wonder where you think um, the authenticity or the craving of authenticity is coming into B2B marketing now as well.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I agree with you 100% that especially as AI gets even more used, um, there is this craving of authenticity and people feel it and something draws them to content that feels like it's a human or a thought leader or a person. And I think maybe it's based on, um i've always felt that great content leaves the person better than you found them Mm -hmm. even if all they ever do is consume the content if they never buy your product or service because they watched your video read your content item engaged in whatever interactive experience you had you left them better than you found them you gave them an idea they didn't have Uh, and i think that format translates really well over video as someone can, you know, give a provocative idea or quickly explain something. Some of that nuance is hard to pick up in other formats. And I think there's also a little bit of a skepticism of, you know, is this written by human or AI? And in the same way, you know, I, I could, as other thing, I could see humans starting to prefer, um, to not prefer things that are obviously AI content, um, because it will create a, uh, I think a belief that it's not authentic. And and right or wrong, um, I think the more humanity you can bring into your marketing and the more um, you can show, particularly in the B2B world, companies don't buy, people in the companies do. The more you can talk to those humans and those personas and those people and help them solve a problem, the more likely you are to, to create trust with them. And with that, now they're interested in learning who you are.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think it's so interesting that you you just said that. I think, um, you know, the, uh, it kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, I don't know about you, but if you're on LinkedIn and you can spot like AI generated um, posts like from a mile away now. Um, and it seems, again, it just seems like everybody's craving that authenticity from businesses and just thought leaders alike, you know. So um, in your opinion, just moving on to LinkedIn now, actually, but like in your opinion, how do you personalize marketing experiences on LinkedIn when it comes to B2B while using AI? Is there something that people can do or different like steps that they can take to make their content more authentic, but, you know, still push out a massive amounts of content on there?
0: Yeah, it's the same point I made before. I'll, I'll hit it in a little more detail. I think your content has to help someone solve a problem. It has to be about them. Uh, and, you know, their desire to improve something in their organization, their professional life, their, their roles, their teams, their company, um, it's it, no one cares what your product does. <laughs> they care how you're going to help them solve a problem. And so it's moving from the messaging that's about you and your business and how awesome you are and how you've done something no one's ever done before into how can you help them achieve something that is really important to them? How can you help them be a more impactful professional, drive more impact in their business and their roles, evolve in their career, um, solve a problem that's really painful to them? And I think you have to orient your content towards that objective. And um, in, in that world, AI, I think, can help you do that. It can help you, you know, you have to direct it of what you want it to write or create. Um, and what tone you want it to use, but it should be helpful and informative, um, and and really almost based on you know helping them understand the category you're in, um, the the how to solve the problem they're facing, different alternatives that might be a path to solve the problem, and of course you do the best alternative, right? You it feeds in very very well into what your message and your product and your story is, but it starts with um, helping them.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much again for for going more into detail with that one. Um, but just like on the topic of LinkedIn, um, we do also know that that's becoming quite a major you know, platform for B2B marketing as well. So are you use, utilizing uh, the platform for that as well?
0: We are. It's one of our um, most significant. And same point, though, I think we're using it by running programs that are targeting persons or accounts that happen to show up on LinkedIn. Um, and I think LinkedIn has some really, LinkedIn is a place where that content should show up. Um, and I think it's it's a unique um, vehicle for people in the B2B world because most business buyers are on it. Um, most LinkedIn email gets read, at least even if it's scanned, but it gets read. Most email does not get read. Uh, and I think having that place where people go to learn, people go to see an idea, people go to network and collaborate with other professionals is a very... A uh, great community that sort of encourages that kind of professional dialogue, and it's a great place to insert um, you know, your thought leadership, your, your help, your advice, your ideas. Um, it's also great that it allows you to do some cool things with targeting. You can get really specific on targeting accounts and targeting people and targeting the VP of supply chain at these 100 companies. And being able to, to do some of that segmentation um, based on someone's professional profile is I think a bit of a unique capability that doesn't exist in other platforms. But again, I think it's just a place where an ad shows up. It's a place where um, um, uh, content can be given, and I think it could also be a place where uh, you know you, your brand has a home. Uh, if you're if you're selling to B two B organizations, it's a place where your brand should have a voice. It should say interesting things that are helpful. People will follow you and want to consume your information. It's a wonderful place for recruiting. Uh, you know, the, the kind of talent you can get out of that platform is, is in my view, far and above places where you would get, you know, career-sized job boards, other places where you'd find talent. It's a really good use for that. Um, and I think it, it's, it should be in the core of the B2B toolkit. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's one of any tools in, in, inside that toolkit.
1: Um, Can you elaborate a little bit more on what you meant by that, what you meant by um, that the targeting on LinkedIn, especially in the case of B2B marketing, is unique that you don't really get anywhere else?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do on there. So I want to target these companies and I want to target people in these companies. I want to target these companies and this persona, the supply chain line of business, the HR line of business, or I want to target these companies this persona and this seniority level director and above or vp and above i want to target companies above these employee size parameters and these geographies um i think some of the targeting that is think of it as a platform fully built for b2b versus something that's more b2c that might target different types of demographics that are more important to a person and their age and their family and their you know hobbies and passions and um I think in the LinkedIn world, more of the, um, you know, what's my ideal customer profile and how do I make sure that I'm marketing inside of that ideal customer profile? And particularly going into marketing to named accounts, or if we know through some tools I talked about, like Six Sense, we know um, what the 5% of our market that's in market right now, um, I wanna market to those 200 companies. And I wanna be really precise of targeting those 200 companies. And there's this old adage, you know, half my marketing budget is wasted, but I don't know which half. Um, That's not true anymore. (laughs) 100% of your marketing budget can be spent on the right audience, the right segment, um, the right sort of in-market group. Um, And I think that's not wasted when you're either building awareness or generating demand or creating activation and engagement in those segments where there's a real need for what you do.
1: Okay, Um, so in the context of of, uh, B2B marketing on LinkedIn, What sort of strategies would you recommend for marketers to utilize the platform effectively?
0: Yeah, I think you got to think equally about, uh, content and targeting. Um, think, think really hard about how your content helps someone solve a problem and think really hard about where do you want this content to go? Who should engage with it? And so many times I run into marketing departments that kind of, I I think of it like a bullseye. You have the center bullseye who's like your perfect customer fit. And it's the right title, it's the right account, it's the right person, it's the right company size, it's the right industry. And then you have the concentric circles where they're less good of a fit, but they're still relevant. You might still sell something to them. They might be an influencer in your buyer journey. There's some research now that most B2B purchases have about 10 people involved in the purchasing committee. Um, and so you need to market to lots of people to activate, you know, them into an awareness of what you do and, and into some level of trust that you do it well. I think my advice would be to be really honest with yourself of where um, to set the boundaries of targeting. There's a lot of companies that talk to you, well, this person could be a fit 5% of the time, so let's put them on the list, right? And then you end up having a list of a whole bunch of people that are maybe a fit some very small fraction of the time, and then the people that are a perfect fit get the same level of ad budget, the same level of attention. And I think you have to be more weighted in your targeting, right? Put more money and attention on the group that's more important rather than have this giant list of like, well, it could be these 10,000 companies and it could be these, you know, 32 different personas. We're going to run a big campaign to everyone. You don't have enough money to run a big campaign, everyone. So you have to be really focused and you have to really think about targeting. And you have to think about your ICP, your ideal customer profile. You have to think about what part of that ideal customer profile is in market based on some of the intent tools I talked about. And you really need to kind of point rifle shots in those areas versus try to have this programmatic big machine that advertises or markets to everybody.
1: Okay. What are the questions that you ask yourself about who your ideal customer is to target to them?
0: yeah um we we look at who our customers are right who who buys from us um who and and of all the you know most companies sell lots of different things lots of different people but the ones that are like the most successful customers that get the biggest impact that stand on stage and win awards who are they and how do we go find more of those and how do we think about um you know areas where um our product's going to be really 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 successful um how do we also think about where there's the most problems and pain. Um, the pain I talked about of, of um, you know, having to deliver more impact and more revenue and reduce cost and increase results at the same time. Where does that pain occur? And the pain might be occurring in companies that are going through turnarounds or transformations, or recently, um, you know, went through a, a change of control at the private equity layer, or went I'm from public company to a private company. Or uh, someone who had a leadership change and a CMO change, or a CEO change, or a CFO change, even more important sometimes. Um, did they go through a merger? Like, How do we identify attributes that make someone need us more than average, um, where they have a pain that's more intense because of conditions in their business? And, and how do we target them? Uh, and how do we also know that, you know, they're on some content consumption journey, like there are 10 problems that we solve. Are they consuming content about those 10 problems? Are they trying to get advice and perspective? Um, You know, all of those things really drive, you know, how we decide who we're going to target versus not target.
1: So, okay, we've talked a lot about, you know, B2B marketing trends and stuff, but there is something a little bit more serious I'd like to discuss with you, and that's, um, you know, the economic volatility that we've seen in the last year or so. Um, and I know that many companies aren't as quick to, you know, pull out their wallets for marketing these days. And I'd like to explore this with you because as I think, you know, a CEO, I'm pretty sure that your insights here will be quite interesting. So firstly, how have you seen, the economic downturn impact B2B marketing, um, particularly when companies aren't spending as much uh, on marketing these days due to budget constraints?
0: Uh, We've seen it in layoffs. That's been a big Mm. or organizational restructuring or transformations. Um, We've seen a lot of thinking around that. Do I really need all these marketers? Do I really, can I, I'd love to have them. Can I afford all of these marketers? Um, And I think um, a lot of it's been, most marketing orgs have this big you know, fixed cost of labor. We might be able to dial the advertising budget up and down. Most do that regularly. But um, how, do we, how do we really focus on, on getting you know, more efficiency out of our headcount area? And a lot of companies have decided to have less headcount. And unfortunately, I think that's a short-term um, action because most of these companies have gone through layoffs and laid off lots of marketing people as one of the major areas where they've seen headcount reduction, but they haven't laid off the work. (laughs) The work is still there. And so they've just spread that work around less people, which is now gonna create a second wave of employee burnout and employee dissatisfaction and employee um, fatigue. And, And now that's even a bigger problem that we'll have to deal with around. We saw a little bit of that last year, for sure. I'm also gonna see more of that, I think. And I think it's it's the desire to sort of change where a giant line item of our budget goes to. Um, I think, you know, there's better ways. I think it's not about reducing the headcount or shifting the work across more people or increasing span of control. So rather than it being a manager with eight direct reports, now you're a manager with 12 direct reports. It's about, Change in the operating model it's about coming up with something better that's flexible that can scale with you that can that can lean into areas where you get more efficiency and something like what we do um with, with the managed service model with an offshore component with you know really a vendor who now you can dial up or down without having to go through a rapid hiring and rapid layoffs and can to get you off this exit ramp you from that volatility which is going to continue to occur i think um that's one and so i think there's been a real focus on um on you know getting something different out of the headcount component in marketing. I also think there's been a real focus on the tech uh, that marketers have bought. Um, work with a lot of tech companies, You know churn or non-renewal in the tech space is a big problem for a lot of tech businesses because they've sold this SaaS model where you subscribe and you have it forever. And a lot of companies have decided that they don't wanna have the tech forever. And part of that's because not the tech's fault, the tech's amazing. It does, it does exactly what the vendor said it does but the company's not using it because they don't have capacity back to the human problem. You know, it's sort of, these things are related. And so how do you get more stable impact without more expense, I think is using the tech that you've already bought um, and not necessarily needing to buy more, but keeping it and getting more value out of it. And in those areas, I think it's, it's how you limit some of the volatility of going from this like spending to saving and spending and cutting. And how do we just just smooth out um, getting recurring impact um, from the investments we've made and being really clear and aware of where there's ROI and where there's benefit.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so just getting a little bit back to, you know, financially wise, um, you know, how I think the the economic downturn has, has affected budgets, I think, across various industries. Um, What would be your strategies for adjusting, um, you know, budget allocation in B2B marketing to ensure that there is effective use of resources in a volatile market? I mean, are there any specific elements that you would say um, marketers should focus on in a B2B campaign to still have it make a really big impact?
0: Yeah, I think of your headcount, at least a third of that headcount should be in some type of variable vendor managed service outsourced model um, that will give you flexibility that will give you the ability to move things around that will give you cost reduction that will create um, more execution impacts we talked about earlier and I think shifting in that operating model in that direction is a huge unlock in getting more results and also allowing you to deal with a bit of a budget reduction in the current environment um, mm-hmm. I also think it's important that um, that marketers get really focused on on outcomes of their work. And so ideally, we want to see revenue and ROI, right? That's, that's the goal. Short of that, we want to see pipeline creation. We know that goal. But short of that, I think we really want to get focused on measuring activation and engagement. And by that, I mean that there's some target audience we want to go after that we know is really important that we want to get to. And we're able to market to them and then see through our marketing and our data and our results that that audience is engaging. They're coming to our website they're reading our content they're watching our videos they're following us on social they're they've moved from a stage of totally unaware that we exist into some level of engagement with us and then from there we'll get from engagement to higher engagement and ultimately pipeline and revenue but measuring engagement and activation as a really successful marketing moment um, i think a lot of marketers have gotten KPI'd on, you know, well, well, how much pipeline did you produce? They've always gotten these like sales KPIs. I think that's a, critical that it should be in their KPI mix, but it's, it shouldn't be the only KPI. Um, we got to be marketers again, right? How do we get um, uh, prospects that, that don't know who we are into a level of engagement with us? And we can be marketers again, and we can really start to you know show that that this account this company this group of personas these people are now engaged with us and we can demonstrate that and be really precise that's the sales result right that's real you know activation that will it's a leading indicator at least for what we're, where we will build pipeline where we will create revenue and so I think, you know, focusing on that engagement and activation metric, in addition to the pipeline and the revenue and the ROI and those things, I think is a real way to show that like, this is working and we're not just marketing and we're getting some impressions and we don't know who they are. We're we're really getting dense activation in this segment that's important to us.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So also then on that topic, I presume that you look at data probably daily, right? So which metrics are you looking at? the closest during a, a b2b marketing campaign
0: yeah it depends on the stage so when you're early in the stage of launching you're really trying to look at account activation and engagement of the people that we're targeting how many of them are engaging engaging meaning all the things i said right they're on the website they're watching content they're spending time with us um i, I believe strongly in an ungated experience and so don't put forms in front of everything and create all these speed bumps and roadblocks and your prospects just go somewhere else. They're, they they don't want it bad enough. And so, um, creating sort of um, visibility of of the target audience we're after, what percent of them are engaged, and how engaged are they, and how do we increase the intensity of that engagement? That's a metric you look at early on. I think as you go, you know, through through the journey of a campaign, you're going to look at how many of those folks that we're sharing with sales or handing over to sales are opening conversations with us and becoming you know, engaged in a human conversation with a rep and finding their way into pipeline. Ultimately, towards the end of the campaign, or maybe even after the campaign's over, you look at how much of that became revenue uh, and how much of it uh, produced a real tangible ROI. Um, And then I think there's also another step after that is how much of that revenue stayed, Um, how much of it retained with us, how much of it um, bought more, how much of it told the friends. And that kind of revenue that retains and becomes advocates is almost more valuable than revenue. And so it is more valuable than revenue. And so it's, it's not just stopping the thing at like, well, we, we sold it. Success, right? Closed one deal, marketing ROI, on we go. Like I would extend it further out and like did it renew and are, you know, the things that renew the best or things that become advocates are worth way more to us than things that buy once and go away. And so factoring that into your customer acquisition costs or that into your, you know, cost per lead or whatever metric you're using there. I think has real, real value too.
1: Okay. Now, Dominic, before we start to, um, conclude our conversation today, uh, I just want to circle back to something that we did or you touched on, uh, early on in, in the episode. Um, could you share how you perceive the role of B2B marketplaces like designers, for instance, connecting companies, um, with the right marketing agencies?
0: I think, um, Places that can help someone navigate a very noisy, crowded market are valuable. Um, it's, it's hard to find authenticity and trust in you know, corporate websites alone. And so I think having communities that are you know, full of people that have had experience and have reviews and understand you know, what's um, a quality resource versus just an available resource. Uh, i think are valuable i think you know there's always a place for freelancers in the market uh, i think there are um needs that come up that are um sporadic you know you buy a company you need to rebrand all their stuff and you need someone to help you do that you may not need them every day after that mm-hmm. uh, and so i think some of those places are good ways to give a connectin connected um pathway between uh someone who needs something done and someone who can do it and and the more of those we have i think the the more flexibility folks on both sides of the of the equation have
1: so i only have like one more question for you because i also know that you you need to hit out um and that is if you have to reflect back on you know your career i know that a lot of us have mentors and people that we look up to um and I'm wondering, who do you respect the most in the B2B marketing industry? And what have you learned from them that made them such a um, standout person in, in your view?
0: There's a couple heroes in the space. Um, I'll just say the first one that came to mind. Um, the chief revenue officer at Sixth Sense, Latney cannot. She um, is someone who's made marketers successful who has spent a huge part of her time as the chief market officer at Sixth Sense running Sixth senses marketing, but has published advice and perspective and books that have made marketers more impactful, has helped marketers in their jobs, has helped them in their careers, has helped them, you know, be, be more impactful with using marketing to generate revenue for their company. Uh, most recently, she was promoted to chief revenue officer as well, which I love. And I'll rant for a bit that there's the chief revenue officer role was created to be the unifier of sales and marketing. And yet almost every CRO I've ever met is a head of sales. That's now the CRO. And so very seldom do you see someone that really understands marketing because they did it for a really long time in the CRO job. I was was so happy to see her get promoted to that role. And I think six cents is gonna be a lot better for it. I'm having someone with that really balanced sales and marketing brain over all of those pieces. Um, and I think like she just lives the, I'm going to leave the industry and marketers better than I found them. And that's, that's, what, that's what great marketing thought leaders should do.
1: Thank you so much today for everything, uh, Dominic, and for taking the time to sit down with us. This has been a fantastic conversation with you.
0: It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me.
1: And that concludes our conversation with Dominic Calasante. For those in search of a top-tier agency's expertise, look no further than designrush.com marketplace. Discover a comprehensive selection of agencies primed to transform your vision into a reality, be it in digital marketing, web design, or beyond. Don't forget to like this video and subscribe to our channel for more invaluable conversations with luminaries and pioneers in the industry. I'm your host, Bianca Mayer. Stay curious and join us for the next episode.